Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live in all the chat rooms on Facebook land and YouTube land. Tonight we're going to do a little special spin on that, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and as always, if you can't catch us live, catch us on the replay or on your favorite podcasting app. You know me, my name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up for his introduction, Jason Richards. Hey, Jason. Oh, hey, you, how's it going, John? You were waiting. I was waiting. Yes. My name is Jason Richards. I'm a past master of Acacia Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, also a member of Colonial Lodge number 1821 in the District of Columbia and Lafayette Lodge number 79 in Zanesville, Ohio. Awesome. Great to see you tonight. As Better always, to be seen than viewed. Oh, next up, the always studious, worshipful Joe Martinez. Oh, sorry. You caught me reading. Hi. <laughs> Joe Martinez, not a past master of anything. I am still master of Manassas Lodge number 182. Damn glad to be here. And uh, yeah. Still master. Still master. I appreciate the fact that you like to curl up with a good dictionary. Indeed. A little bit next every time, day. Next time, read it upright. Next time. Got it. Got All it. Right. It takes Thanks. real skill to read upside down. Finally, to complete the full set, if you're collecting them all, we have Robert Johnson. <laughs> hey, Michael Vsauce here. Uh, sorry. No, Robert. Uh, everybody was doing something fun. I, I really liked Joe's. Uh, oh, I like to break a mental it. sweat, too. Um, yes. Robert Johnson, Bassmaster Waukegan, sitting secretary at a couple lodges. And uh, chairman of Masonicon Chicago happening Woo! in like eight days. So Y'all got Steve Joe and some folks. It'll be a great time. Exciting. Or later. That's it. Yeah. That's, a That's a big it deal. That's a big deal. This is your third year, fourth year. It'll be our second year. Yeah, we didn't. We did one, and then really nothing. They, all, COVID they alternate so right between right. Uh, you guys and South Pasadena. Yeah. Right? I, well, it's not like an agreement between our two lodges. It's more like me going South Pass is huge. And when they do it, people come from all over the country and they should. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do something the same year because we'll either pale in comparison or uh, <laughs> brothers, are be like, yeah. brothers are going to be like, I got no money left to do anything. Sorry, babe. We can't go on vacation because I went to 17 cons this yes. year. Exactly. It's it's always, it's not a competition, right? It's, Bring Masonic education into your lodges every single month. Amen. That way we can kill the cons. Kill the cons. That's, that's a new hashtag for tonight. All right. Let's uh, pay the bills because we definitely want to give a shout out to the patrons because Today's tonight... Is your show right? If you want to be a, a patron of the Masonic Roundtable, head to Patreon.com/slash the Masonic Roundtable, and you too could have 
previously entered your question for tonight's show because this is all about yeah dealer's choice so yeah i mean i don't think we say it enough that we are super super grateful to our patrons and our supporters um i was one for many years in fact i think i still am one i think you um, still are i think i am so you know it's a self thank you Jill. of support but yeah no it's um i can't stress it enough uh, before i came on the show it was super awesome to get all those neat little things and to have access to you guys in a way that is <clears throat> much greater than, you know, just chatting on Facebook or uh, chatting in the YouTube chat. Um, you really get to see what goes on and all the amazingly hard work that not me does to bring this all together all the time. So I can't stress that enough. So everybody on YouTube, everybody on Facebook, everybody on your favorite podcasting app, if you're not a patron, So and we and you know gonna say we we love everybody on YouTube and Facebook, especially those of you who who um, work with us live. Um, that's awesome. Uh, we're not taking live questions tonight. We're not taking your questions because this is our Patreon dealer's choice. That's right. Speaking of dealing, let's go to our tarot card of the week. Tarot card so, of the week. We need some music I've, for that. Like we do. We need we like work on that. Song. So yeah. I'm working on the Mystic RJ's set. Make it happen. Make it happen. All right. Let's see what we got here. Doing a quick little overhand shuffle. Tarot card of the week. And Mystic Mondays, by the way, is one of my favorite <clears throat> art styles. Nobody cares. And one that uh, Jason. Your mom make. cares. Wow. We've got the ten of wands. What is she doing with those wands? It's it's a lot of wands for one woman. Um. <laughs> This was heck? a nice show we had. <laughs> She's carrying a bundle, a plethora of wands. If it were 10 being a, a card of uh, almost completion, right? So this is all about uh, like burden, hard work, um, stress. Cause you can see like there's girl still in the middle of it. It's not Girl's complete working, yet. Working hard. But, yeah. But you're also getting it done. You're right? getting it done. You're still pushing You're through. You're not giving up. Yeah. There's a and lot I would like just the, say that I would just yeah. say that also, uh, John wouldn't say the word plethora and unless he knew what a plethora was. <laughs> say, uh, would you say I have a plethora of pinatas? <laughs> hey, One of the greatest Guapo, movies home box office ever made. Could it, could it be that you are perhaps angry at someone else and just taking it out on me <laughs> <laughs> so as oh, always all right the cards are good because uh we have a plethora of questions tonight yeah you're not burdened yes. we're working hard for you so let's get right to it tonight uh joe explain what we're going to do for tonight's episode so tonight is dealer's choice and the dealers are all of our patrons and supporters that are blessed to um, hang out with us and we are blessed to hang out with you also. Um, and like I said, I was one, so this is super fun, um, but we'll be taking the questions that were in the Knights and Squires uh, private Facebook group. You got to be a patron or a supporter to be in that group. But uh, we ask for questions or discussion points that we could smash on in five minutes, no more than five minutes. So we'll have a timer and, um, John Ruark yep. is going to be the randomizer and is going to randomly pick 
questions and he's got a timer as well little egg timer there going on and we're gonna knock out these questions and give you our thoughts and our beliefs and our opinions um and yeah it's gonna be awesome all right one uh one quick note before we get started for everybody who loved last week's show with brother chris his (gasps) book's out so go to mccoy's yeah the paperback yeah, that's, that's lame-o. I mean, it was what was available for pre-order. If you had listened to the show last week, you would know that the hardcover was coming. <sighs> so, first question. I wanted Here to we get go. it immediately. Well, I, I want to fight with Jason. I don't want to yeah, do this no. show. Okay, actually, Remember, look, you choice. need to be nice to me. You need to be nice to me. Yeah, I love you okay. Yes. Let's go. As you wish. First question. And I'm going to put that. I'm going to put it in the chat, so therefore we can show it as well. This comes from Brother Kenneth. Would the anti-Masonry party still have been as strong if the Morgan affair never took place? Discuss. Ooh. I'll go first. Uh, no, I yes. think that the Morgan affair was a the the death and attribution of that death to someone. Um, in the Masonic organization, I think contributed to the start of bad propaganda. So, you know, you had his expose and what happened to him after it got published and he's never been found. So I think that, no, I think that it would not have been as it would not have probably would not have become the first third party we had here in the United States. Yeah. That's an interesting Um, point. Yeah. That's me. No. So I'm going to say, Yes, it probably would have been because the the anti-Masonic party was a play to get people out of power and have a, you know, a change in politics and and draining the swamp. Yeah. Got it. And so it was inherently political and politically motivated from the very start. And so I would argue if the Morgan affair hadn't happened, there would have been some other scapegoat. Like what though? That wasn't Something, for an answer. Like, other than the disappearance of some dude who was about to publish a Masonic expose and he ended up disappearing forever. Um, like what could they have used that could have catalyzed a whole political party around them? And I was asking genuinely. No. And so I think, I think we don't know what we don't know. And so my question is, you know, if the Morgan affair had never happened, what other stories would have, well, you it know, started come to light instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, without I mean, it's, being overshadowed. By it the started way before then, right? Like Steve Harrison yep. has been digging into this, and he's got a serial happening on Midnight Freemasons. We've been digging into, and really, what he finds out is that you know, it goes all the way back to uh, just before the first papal bull on Masonry. Um, there was a a letter, basically. Um, it says that. In essence, it says that they, uh, they that Masons are bad because we won't work. This is operatives. Masons are bad because we won't work for less than our stated wage. So, like, we won't negotiate. We've put it out there. Second, that none of us um, will do steady work that might interfere with another brother 
making his money, even if somebody decides to pay us 20 pounds more to go for it, we still won't do it because it takes away the livelihood from somebody else. So because of this, there starts to be all this suspicion. And then basically uh, one branch of masonry um, versus the other at the time was Jacobite masonry and Hanoverian lodges. And one of them told on the other to the Pope, hoping that they would say, hey, you can't have Hanoverian lodges anymore. And the Pope was like, no masonry is good. And it totally struck everything down because of uh, basically the whole Catholic anti-masonry sentiment that was prevalent even before Morgan, even before Leo Taxel, because that's what Leo Taxel, that, you know, a failed pornographer decided to uh, create a hoax. and, And he he basically played it right into the Catholicism's hands. So I don't think it would be as bad, but it it still would have been there for a very long time. And let's face it uh, in the United States in particular, if you want to just look at that, I mean, we've had, we've had all kinds of weird prejudices that I don't think a lot of people understand whether that is racial prejudice or even, I mean, even for a while, Catholicism, religious groups, right? Exactly. Like imagine today, Irish like if, Catholics. If you're you know, yeah. if you're practicing Catholic, and you're being discriminated against because of that, like that seems very alien today. Like I under like you you read about racial prejudices and things, but you don't really read about these religious pre- prejudices that existed in the time the Quakers were coming over and all of these other things. So um, in that world. Uh- yeah, like the Puritans who came over and were like, "Yeah, my religious freedom to stamp down the religion of everybody else." Yeah, <laughs> right. That's what they they don't talk about, you know, in the in the Wikipedia article, right? So, in general, would still have been as strong, but maybe maybe pivoted to something else at that point. Okay, Boom. good. Let's get to the uh, next question. Here we go. Um, Let me see if I can get this to share as it's posting. So uh, this came from brother Andrew. Seriously, though, as I asked the brothers on TikTok, how do you all feel about copywriting or trademarking? The most obvious symbols of our fraternity, mainly to stop the spread of scammers and other negative views of craft. Five minutes on the clock, and I'll I'll start off because um, I believe Grand Lodge Pennsylvania has copyrighted it or um, put it, but it's only been it's not been through the national copyright system. It's been kind of a trademark in their state, right? So it only applies to uh, that jurisdiction in that state. Okay. Um, the challenge there is that no one owns the the no one speaks for all of freemasonry by design right so that's that's the challenge right we're a democratic union of uh different jurisdictions right we're not we're not there's i don't know what you just said there's no there's no centralized authority that can say this is our symbol we're going to trademark it we're going to register it for all of freemasonry so uh great idea to prevent Cowans and clandestine masons and all that from adapting it and misleading those because again if you're trying to trademark a brand for example right uh, as a business you do that to make sure no one copies your brand and tries to sell an inferior product uh posing as you 
right? And that's really what I think the brother's trying to get to here is like, obviously there should, should be some sort of legal protection that goes with the symbols that are representative of I, our craft. I John, do believe, go ahead. Are, are you arguing for government regulation that infringes upon capitalism? So in a perfect world, we'd have an anarcho-capitalistic system where you would pay people to enforce contracts, right? <laughs> but because we're not there yet, uh, the next best thing. That just sounds be, like 1920s, like political <laughs> schemes, you know, like I'm going to break your legs. It's like, you know, 1990s Russia. So Robert, okay. what were you saying? Well, okay, so uh, <laughs> there's actually a section in the Grand Lodge of Illinois Constitution. Uh, it's Code 462. It says the use of Masonic emblems and, and devices on business cards. So devices refers to emblems, symbols, all that stuff. On business cards or signs or by way of advertisement, except for legitimate Masonic purposes, is strictly forbidden. And Code 463 moves on to say, no Mason, either personally or as an officer or agent of any firm, shall use or be party to the using of the word Masonic, Masonry, or any similar word or the Masonic emblem as part of a name or style of any business firm, concern, company, association, enterprise whatsoever, nor shall any use of such words or emblem in any manner for the purpose of pecuniary profit be permitted unless the approval of the Grand Lodge AF and AM of Illinois at a regular communication be first had and received. This code shall not apply to any use of such words or emblems permitted in Illinois prior to the adoption of this code. So this is really interesting that we have a lot of uh, grand jurisdictions actually that have things like this in their code. Virginia. But it just applies to the Masons. That's right. Within right. that boundary. So the, that's what the hard we can part. assume, what we can mm -hmm. assume is anybody who might be doing this can't be. So you can't. Number one, you're not allowed to claim uh, uh, ignorance of the code because the the master of every lodge is, is is said he's supposed to read the code at every meeting so that no Mason may claim ignorance of any of the precepts contained therein. So uh, because of that. You would assume that Masons would follow this and that anything you might see, they can just, they don't have to do so much due diligence. Maybe they just go after them, you know? I don't know. But how they would have to go after them civilly, you know, yep. it's not, it's not a crime, you know? So going, going right. back to the, the trademarking thing, back to John's point, we have, you know, 100 independent grand lodges in the United States. Um, who's going to pick up the slack and say, they so what if we all did? What if we all got together? We have a conference of grandmasters in North America and we said, all right, here's on the agenda for this year. We're all going to go file the paperwork together as our respective grand lodges and just blanket the country. You'll laugh at us. How's yeah, that going to wrap up clandies though? Well, Come on. I mean, don't worry about it. Details, details. According to this code, that I just read, 462 and 63, well, not 62, but 63, the Masonic Roundtable violates it. Yep. So, so, it comes down to, I think, intent and what they want to go after. Because there's other codes, too, that I have literally said to a grandmaster sitting in a bar where he's got his pin on and everything, and still his jewel on and all this stuff within the bar, right? Because he didn't have time to take it off. That's a violation of code. Mm -hmm. Like you're not supposed to be in any place that serves alcohol with any kind of fraternal emblem is on. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so like we pick and choose, I think, based on the intent, right? It's what we would call, and perhaps what the law calls the spirit of the law, the spirit of the law, not Love the it. letter of the law. 
Right, right. Right. And so I was going to bring up, you know, one thing that's really important, especially among the system of Masonic cons is branding. Right. And so you have amazing logos and designs. Just thinking back to Masonic on Kansas this year, um, Alex Powers created an incredible um, logo with a sheaf of wheat in the middle of a square and compass and like his Masonic on Kansas branded colors. Like you, you trademark that design to protect your brand as a Masonic education or and or services provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We're, we're out of time. That was good. That was a good discussion that we could go boom much deeper into that, but we're not going to just to cut Jason off. Here we go. Next topic is I love you, uh, John. Was I love you too? Was the, the Ecclesiastes uh, a der- derivative of any known previous or contemporary works or mystery schools? What about the sources that the authors drew upon, if not from an original philosophy? Because we use we use the Book of Ecclesiastes in Ooh, I like this question context. So this came from uh, Brother Dylan. Brother Dylan, love you, man. Watching live. Yes, um, I like this question. Can I go first? Please, because you have yeah. more information than I do. So I, yeah, I absolutely love studying the wisdom literature in the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Bible, whichever flavor is yours. They are different as we've learned, as y'all know. Um, So Ecclesiastes is really interesting because I don't know if it would fall into the traditional wisdom literature that defines wisdom literature in the ancient Near East, right? So when we're talking about wisdom literature, going back to the third millennium, BCE, we're talking about things that came out of Mesopotamia, things that came out of ancient Egypt, you're right, and it spawned a whole set of writings that came before, after, you know, with with lots of frequency, you know, um, which includes, you know, the creation narratives that Jason loves to talk about and things like that. But Ecclesiastes is a weird one, right? It doesn't fall in line with a lot of the other things that are considered wisdom literature. I know they're called the wisdom books in the Bible, right, or the you know, um, that part of the Tanakh, but it doesn't meet the criteria for wisdom literature as you would understand it coming from the ancient Near East. It's really, it's a really pessimistic book. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, it, there's some sad crap that happens. Like and the anti-Psalms. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if we're going to talk about the legendary origin, right, the legendary origin is that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon in the older states of his life but we know that it was actually committed to writing hundreds of years later but that being said um it doesn't talk about the redeeming qualities of god which you find in all the other wisdom literature um both in biblical texts and outside of biblical texts of the time and a lot of religious scholars you know both hebrew and christian Talk about why was it chosen to be part of the Bible in the first place, right? It's so out of place with all the other books and stories that are around it because it just talks about defeatism and basically a sense of nihilism, um, which you don't find in Psalms and Proverbs and and the other books of wisdom literature that we categorize in the quote unquote Bible. Um, Super interesting book, you know, the passage we take, absolutely appropriate. Um, But again, the overall theme of it is just defeatism and... God's not there for me. And, you know, everything is vanity, right? That's, you know, we love to hear that in in popular media, but that's the big theme of it. Um, 
so yeah, it, it kind of sticks out. So I don't know. I, I can't reference any single wisdom literature that came before it that sings the same song as Ecclesiastes does. That would be pre-Stoic philosophy, though, wouldn't it? By by yeah. hundreds and hundreds of years, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it is interesting, though, because when you read through Ecclesiastes, there are some elements of it that seem to really... It, it seems like it's asking you to, like, be in the present moment. And that's why I said that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, what does he say for the enjoyment is from the hand of God. And uh, what's interesting about that, like, what do you think about the only good is to partake of life in the present for enjoyment from it you know, is from the hand of God. It seems very Taoist. Um, or Epicurean to even. me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very almost Eastern philosophy to say, you live in the now. Uh, right, right. But um, what an interesting question. That's my segue to say, I, I just don't know. I can say that for sure. Yeah, I, I love I love this question only because, like I said, it, this is one of my favorite things to to research. And what's funny is um, I actually do a talk on, on just the verses of Ecclesiastes that we use in our ritual. And what's interesting is that there's always somebody that pops up and says, well, what about this part, you know, that we don't read in Lodge or, or listen to in Lodge? And it's all the happy stuff. And I love giving the answer of, well, smarty pants, what's actually the real thing is all that stuff was added centuries later. Um, that's not part of the original Ecclesiastes. It ends on a really sour note. Um, this dude is just pessimistic about everything. Um, but there are the, the last verses of Ecclesiastes 12 are really upbeat. Um, but yeah, those were added later. So sorry to disappoint. It's like the, uh, the additions to, to the book of Mark. Yeah. Yeah, like where uh, where Mark notes, yeah. Mark ends at the the women fleeing because they're afraid after seeing the tomb empty, and uh, yeah, we'll write a, a short little epilogue to add to it. Yeah, yeah. some <laughs> scribes like I could do better than this. <laughs> That's a cliffhanger. Come on, all right. <laughs> Next one, uh, five minutes on the clock. Top five books for a longtime Mason who is just getting into Masonic education. Right, so this is the beginner, like. What would be the first five books that you would recommend to get them started on the deeper paths of Masonic education? And I think we can collectively kind of pull this out. You don't need to name all five yourself, but what are the first ones that come to mind? And we'll see if we see some overlaps. First one for me is A Mason's Words by um, uh, Bob uh, Davis. Bob Bob. Davis. Davis. Mental Most Worshipful Bob. Most Worshipful Bob. If If you don't have that, add it to your bookshelf. I keep... My litmus test here is, do I keep coming back to that book for reference? And Bob Davis's book, absolutely, I go back to that for where does this piece of information or this line in ritual come from? He did the work, right? He brought the receipts, as the Gen Zers say. So that's definitely the uh, first one to, uh, to have in your, your library because you're going to keep coming back to it. A Mason's Words by okay. Bob Davis. What else? So I'm looking yeah. for my copy now of Freemason, American Freemasons, Three Centuries of Building Communities by Mark Tabert. Um, it is easily the most accessible history of American Freemasonry. Ah, here it is. 
You were so and much more handsome facing away from yeah, us. Yeah, I, I, I know, I, right? I zoomed in. American Freemasons, three centuries of building communities. Um, and why? Like, you know, I, you know, as much as we like to rag on, oh, George Washington was a Freemason and, you know, Masonic idolatry of, of GW. Like this, this book is just very, very well done. And it gives a good broad brush overview on the role of Freemasonry in the formation of and the continuation of uh, the U.S. All right. That's two. I'm going to go with uh, RJ still on mute. I'm going to go with um, if you're interested in the deeper aspects of Masonry, I would say Contemplative Masonry by Chuck Dunning. Oh, I could have called it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, and brother why chuck brother chuck dunning uh if you don't know him you need to know him uh he is a uh a monster in the realm of taking the contemplative aspects of masonry and making it number one accessible to people and number two giving people the reasons why they should be more contemplative about their study of the craft and their their living in the craft um it's a phenomenal book and you can take stuff right there after reading it for 10 minutes and apply it and start to go down that more contemplative road and turn that eye in towards yourself. So great starter book for that. Love it. Robert. Yeah, I was going to drop a bunch in the chat, um, but I think I, I do want to say two things I, I want to give two, and that is uh Hodaf's, uh, Freemasonry for dummies. Yep. I, still, I think I still think that is a gold standard for any Mason, new or uh, seasoned, uh, whether you're old or young, because it has uh, information in it that at any level you'll be like, "Oh, that's why that does that," or you know, I mean, there, there's things in it that will give you light bulb moments, um, and also it prepares you for what you're really going to experience in a lodge. You know, you can pick up, say, something like Manly P. Hall's, you know, Secret Teachings, and you might read it. And I love that book. But, you know, Masonry doesn't operate like that, per se, uh, in, in the mainstream world. And so I think Masonry for Dummies prepares you for that. It's a real uh, solid book. And, and really, the, the start, other... Yeah, yeah it's foundational. Other, yeah, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Foundation. I think in another foundational text, um, you know, they, they would on opposite ends of the spectrum is probably a Masonic Initiation by Wilmshurst uh, is, is definitely uh, is up there. You know, Meaning of Masonry is there, too. But Meaning of Masonry by Wilmshurst, it's a collection of essays. Uh, so if you really want a, a continuous sort of uh, book, then um, Masonic Initiation. And of course, you know, the master's word by Plumer, which you can get on Amazon and John and I did a thing. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go super, super specific here. Um, this book that I want to talk about is an example of flawless scholarly research. And we're out of time. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Next topic. <laughs> Alchemically stoned by PD Newman. Yes. All right. Timer rescinded. Amazing research. Time's up. And I love you. I love you no, more. I'll allow it. Next question. Next question. Here we go. Hitting send in the chat. 
Uh, yeah, good call, Jason. Thanks for hanging on. Okay, uh, this comes from Brother Adam. I will be doing a presentation soon on the alchemical viewpoint of chalk, charcoal, and clay. Good on mm. you. That's awesome. Mm. I love it. On how each can be representative of a man's emotional, intellectual, and transformative powers. And, of course, it cut off the bottom. Which of those three items relates more personally to each of you and why? So I will definitely j jump in and say that just my gut reaction to this question is the clay because I am a firm believer of neuroplasticity of the ability to change your mindset about lots of things, not just uh, your belief system, but that you can learn new things late in life and that we, we choose to make a choice on uh, whether we're stuck in our ways or we think that we can grow out of those and so when i when i think about the clay that uh can be shaped and formed you know by the potter's hands by the master's hands like then that that just tells me that as a symbol that means a lot to me because i i i believe that you know you can only change your future from here going forward you have a choice in that uh it, it really is a a firm guiding belief system of mine that you know, you, you create the future that you want, right? Uh, you can't fix the past. The past sucks. You know, the, it is what it is, but you can't dwell on it. You can only choose today and go forward. And that's why I'm a firm believer in using that symbol of clay to shape your future. For me, Jason. it's charcoal. Ooh, say more. So... I've always been about the pursuit of knowledge and intellectual enhancement. And so charcoal, you just give it the faintest touch and it leaves, you know, almost an indelible trace on you. And it's so, well, I mean, you can wash it off with soap, but if you put it on paper, it leaves an indelible trace that you'll never get off of the paper. Um, and uh, that's very much, like knowledge you know we we are shaped to such a great extent about the or from the and by the knowledge that we gain through our experiences through books through other people um it's it's almost going back to you know this is going to be a deep cut but uh incubus's song make yourself um, basically talks about how, you know, our personalities and our beings are shaped by everyone around us and, and everything else. And so when it comes to intellect, um, you know, for, for me, charcoal, I think is, is something, um, that really, really resonates. Uh, I'll be quick. Cause Jason took up four and a half of those five minutes. So I will say charcoal, but for a different reason, because you're burnout. I'm almost burnt out, but yeah, no, I <laughs> four I like more it. years. No, I like it because uh, we talk about it in our ritual. Um, no matter what you put over that fire that you light with charcoal, it will just it will melt. It will get soft. Um, so I think that that resonates with me because I love to just wear people down until you know. I'm, I'm a part of their life. So, which is burn what I've three Love of you. It. Yes. So we can burn down together. Yes. I know that chalk leaves, uh, chalk leaves a trace, 
but I was trying to apply it to charcoal. So that's why you were looking at me cross-eyed, Joe. Your charcoal. Lower your ritual. Robert? It's such a... I like the question. It's just hard to answer, right? Like, it seems as though you've already kind of given a little bit of a, a thing, right? So maybe chalk, emotional, charcoal, intellectual, and transformative of clay. So like calcium, carbamide, carbonate, uh, uh, carbon, and and uh, magnesia and water. Yeah, all of those things. Now, I'm, I probably I like I like. Uh, like mushy stuff clay clay because it's transformative right i'm always i kind of just identify with it as this thing that i'm always learning um you know uh, there's an element of water which is transformative in and of itself um added to uh, the dirt from which we come and uh, i just like the idea in general of, of transformative power of a thing and I, I try to say that i'm malleable also nice the head of the buzzer Good stuff. All right. The next question comes from Brother Christian, which is, is regular attendance at a lodge essential to being a Freemason? No. Why or why not? Because no. Because no. And say more, Joe. Fine. Uh, No, because uh, for those that attend lodge with regularity you'll notice that in most lodges you don't actually do any masonry in that lodge you read the bills and you have banal discussions and you talk about um the you know the overages that you had for dinner that day and again banal things but um, it's a business meeting it's a business meeting that's right yeah. that's not where masonry is happening um masonry happens in here and masonry happens in here and masonry happens when we so I will say, you know, if if the one place where masonry is happening in a lodge is when you are initiating a brother or mm-hmm. passing him right. or raising him, if if it's being done with intent and it's being done in the right way. But yeah, regular attendance at your business meeting doesn't make you a good mason. It's regular funny, regular fellowship with like minded brethren for the pursuit of knowledge wisdom and making each other better yeah. is critical to being a freemason so brother jason mitchell out of utah had a really interesting phrase that just just drilled itself into my head and the phrase is masonic cosplaying right where there are guys who will go through business meetings and they will walk out like man we did so much great masonry and and did everything joe just said that it's like well we paid some bills and we talked about the charity we're going to give to and how the 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 pavement and the parking lot needs to be repaved that was that was a good night of masonry oh my gal too (sighs) did you hear how the secretary read the minutes tonight (laughs) chills did you hear how rj read the minutes tonight and every night forever so you know the joke's on you joe i never read the minutes <gasps> mic drop and so right Ever. that's not that's i don't not read them in the beginning of a meeting i don't read them at the end of a meeting damn flat out right? i do not like them sam, sam i am sam i am <laughs> so no of course that's not that's not real masonry <clears throat> in my humble opinion right that i think 
so so if we're doing practice if we're practicing masonry in the sense that um we are let's call it an 80 20 split even at an administrative level almost all the administrative stuff can be done via beforehand little officer meetings things are handled boom it's done so really all you're doing at a stated meeting should be just doing the vote and going through the the motions uh no pun intended but the other 80 percent of that meeting is supposed to be you know content for us right and we know that this is nothing new to us but in that vein in that in that kind of sort of perfect world where maybe masonry is happening in the lodge, which does happen in a lot of lodges. Um, I think that attending lodge for those members is a privilege. And we benefit from those who never come to lodge, those dues payers who continue to pay their dues. And if I could, I'd send them all a thank you card that says, Hey, thanks for paying your dues every year so that I can show up and get a benefit, even if you're not here. Um, and it doesn't mean they're not being a good Mason out there either. Right. Um, I might make an argument for somebody who comes in and then never comes back until they get their 50-year award. That leaves me a little bit salty. But, you know, it, maybe maybe monthly meeting isn't your gig, and that's okay. Or maybe you don't have the elasticity like so many of our brothers today in a world that works 365, 24-7, you know, 19 different available shifts that you can't do anything. So, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I agree with all of you. I don't think you have to be there, but it does benefit those who can be, I think. Hopefully, there's enough time for me to say this because it's an awesome story. But um, we... Uh, I have a little book club and we read some books once in a while. And um, I heard the most amazing thing from a brother that all of, you know, um, he's been a Mason for 40 years. His name is brother Bill. And he comes to our book clubs. He usually doesn't share. I mean, we've been reading Wilmshurst, uh, both right. of Wilmshurst big books. And we started on uh, lost keys of Freemasonry. And if you're not into esoteric stuff, that book is going to piss you off. It just is, you know, it's like, <laughs> this is weird. I don't like it. It makes me sad. I don't want to read it, but um, the, the coolest thing he said the last time we had book club was he's like, listen, I've been a Mason for almost 40 years. And this is the first time I read something and it resonated with me of to why so much of my life in Masonry has been wasted. You know, wow. I spent 40 years going to meetings and doing the things. And, you know, Bill's been a uh, past district deputy yeah. and he's been, yeah. you know, he's been our lodge instructor. He is yeah. a ritualist bar none. And he just flat out told us that, the first 35 years of his masonry was just a waste, you know? Wow. And you know, like, like, I hope you told him it wasn't, it wasn't. No, I mean, it, it broke my heart. And I was like, well, I mean, better Bill, than ever, but like quoting, you know, from, from anchorman bill is the balls. He is. No, he really <laughs> is. And he's, he's the people, he's the one that everybody looks up to. And he's the one I go mm -hmm. to when I'm being a, a pain in the butt and I need, you know, good guidance, but the icon of the lodge very yeah, much so. Really and, but yeah. you know, for him to have that thought, I was like, damn, I'm like, he's like, yeah, we just had boring meetings. And I thought that was masonry. And I thought I was being a good Mason, but it's not. And I, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, man, that is a, wow. That is a good moment of self-realization. And it was amazing that he shared that. So, you know, yeah, it was amazing. So I digress. Wow. Yeah. I, I hate to move on, but we have to. Because I said so. 
Next topic. I like it. We talk a lot about guarding the West Gate, but what about guarding the East Gate? How are we, if we are at all, to making sure that those who make it to the East are ready and qualified to sit there? This comes from Brother Jack. We're not, Brother Uh, Jack. Who cares? A lot of times (laughs) we aren't. Yeah. We're not. That's the short answer. Why not? I'm Should we? That's proof of that. (laughs) Ah, shut up. You are imminently way overqualified to be a master of a lodge. And I think. But what does that mean, Robert? What does that mean? Okay. Like in today's world, in the tangible, it means you as an individual are able to lead. Have a pulse. No. To lead people. And we say it in the ritual when we're installing you. We say something about people follow you because you hold the key to men's hearts and that is in my mind the preeminent qualification let me let me rephrase brother jack's question here if there were a minimum set of qualifications to sit in the east what would they be so uh and and where my my head is at is i mentioned this recently on the show where a DEO was a uh, district education officer was giving a talk and he said, you know, that we have ritualistic requirements in the Grand Lodge of Virginia to sit in the East. We have zero educational requirements for that person to sit in the East. Okay. So perfect world. Like if we're going to guard the East, what would be the minimum set? Not, not the perfect world, but let's, what's the minimum threshold you would add to sit in the East. Right? So, you know, obviously there's a ritual requirement to be able to perform the duties and, uh, exemplify parts of the degrees. But what else? I mean, so I, I would add that you need to have a basic understanding of the sign symbols, um, you know, a little bit beyond just the m- rote memorization. What else would you add to guard the East? See, it, it's hard to answer your question as wonderful of a question as it is because minimal set and let's let's bring in let's bring reality low back. bar set the bar real let me, low let me let me preface it with okay most lodges don't choose their masters with that idea in mind right it's and somebody why said we're it in, talking about it somebody said it in the chat it's you've got a progressive line so that bar is going to move shut up sun card um i'm not even having that um because again, this the this idea that most lodges have a progressive line, you can have a master that is absolutely unqualified in any regards when it comes to you know business or administration or the management of people or even the ability to socialize and talk to people, right? Um, but to, to answer your question finally, I would say they do have to have some qualifications of being able to effectively manage people. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And I'm sure there's more detail you could go into what that looks like, but at at a high level, be able to manage resources and people, right? I mean, delegate, right? You might not be great at at ritual, delegate it. Yep. People, people management, I think they need to have an underlying at a very foundational level, um, a sense of business management. And if not business management, then product program management. Interesting. I like it. 
Okay, let's get on to the next question then. That one petered out hard, didn't it? It was like, uh. you know, it's <laughs> it's it's complex. So we all agree, yeah, you know, there, there's not great. enough, but like the details, right? It's it's very jurisdictional. One of the comments in the in yeah. the chat said, you know, cultural implications of your lodge need to be considered as well. Moving on to the next one, RTO lodges the future of the craft so for those just catching up no that stands for traditional observance lodges no they are not nothing against observant masonry it is why or why not it it is one aspect of uh or is one kind of view and slice of of masonry um you know, I love things about observant masonry, like the solemnity. Um, but there's different masonry for different people. So I, I like how it's been rebranded. So th- there was a lot of cautious rebranding of traditional observance when people started to get slack for being um, elitist and, and so. So they really kind of dropped the T and just said, no, we are observant masons, right? Mm-hmm. We are observing the rituals that are there. We're not trying to create some fancy schmancy alternate reality of masonry, but we are going to practice with solemnity to your point, the existing rituals and practices we have today and do them seriously. We're not going to do this as the three stooges degree. We're going to do this with all of the intent, meaning passion, egregore, whatever you want to call it uh, behind why we do these things in the first place. And so marry that with you know the younger generation joining the craft looking for a more experiential craft masonry instead of fraternal social you know dinners and and handshakes kind of masonry i i could see where this answer could could lean towards yes as long as it's not suit and tuxedos kind of observant but more of just observant as are we practicing what we preach I, listen, I yeah I, I agree kind of sort of with you um i don't think to lodges are the future of the craft unfortunately because again i'm being the realist today which is weird i've usually you know got my head in the clouds but um so i, I don't like this position don't put me here anymore um the reality is, is that most of your mainstream masons don't practice the way that things get practiced in observant lodges, right? And you're talking to someone who loves observant masonry. I love many of the aspects. There's some aspects that a little go a little too far, but I'm a member of an observant lodge. So, I mean, I get it. Um, but I don't think it's something that could, you know, Suncard said it. Um, and unfortunately, it's the truth. Masonry, the way we know it, is not going to look the same by the time... 2040 rolls around so the conversation is not going to be had of well do all lodges need to become to lodges it's we really need to change how we're doing everything because the pendulum has shifted and but to your point you're absolutely right i think that what people are looking for at least people that walk into my lodge they're looking for that experiential type of place to congregate with like-minded people and have that moment of self-reflection and learn how to do it and learn how to do it with other people. Um, and you can take observant practices and implement them in your lodge without being an observant lodge. Right. So, right. And so the Freemasonry of the future, 
I think 100, 100% will include certain observant practices. Thousand percent agreed. Yep. Robert? Observant light. Yeah, I just think it's like a salad bar. You know, take what you want, <laughs> leave the rest. Um, I don't really feel like I, I've been quoted before as saying, um, I like TO, I don't like TO Masons. Um, ah. And and the thing is, is like, it's a joke, right? But uh, I, I think traditional observance has its place um, for specific brothers, just like how, uh, you know, there are themed lodges all over the world uh, that do things in their own uh, peculiar manner. And um, that's great. Um, it like I might like uh, there's a I think there's a lodge in Wisconsin that does all German work like I might really like that but that doesn't mean it's the the way to do it right so regardless I just think that uh, you, you take what works and you leave the rest behind because every lodge I think uh, uh, brother Jose said in the chat somewhere about culture um, and it leads me back to something I had never heard before which uh, was, to me, uh, the first time I ever heard it was from Mark St. Cyr when he was doing a segment for the the show, and he said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I I was like, shoot. Like, if there's any uh, truer statement, you know, I mean, you take that anywhere and even into a lodge. So it's all about the lodge culture and what works for them and what they find value in it as long as you have the framework of masonry, right? That's what our grand lodges and our district deputies and lecturers all want to do. They just want to keep, they're like, Hey, this is the modicum. Uh, Stay within these bumpers, do what you want to do. But Robert, to you, I mean, what you're saying is, is, is spot on because, and what I went back to was that bill example, right? It's like, no, all of you have sat in, in lodge with me. Um, are we an observant lodge? No, because that's a bad word in, in our jurisdiction, right? But do we do things that are a bit more solemn and serious and we try to organize things in the right way? Absolutely. And what do we find? We find guys who have been Masons for decades and are like, holy crap, I wish we were doing this 10 or 20 years ago. It's like, why didn't we do it before? And, and I answer that question with a question. Why weren't you doing it before? Because the same guys were complaining a century ago. Their names were Wilmhurst. Yeah, and they were complaining about the same crap that we do now. And Mackie, know? yep, mm-hmm. exactly. All right, so now we're running late, but here's the best part: we we don't need to do a summary. So instead of the final question for tonight, we're going to do a lightning round. Ooh. All right. So for the last remaining questions, we're not going to get to them all. You guys have been amazing, giving us uh, a whole plethora of questions to to go through, of which we will incorporate in future shows but we're going to go through a lightning right net rail now and w- as we put the question in we will um give each host a chance to give a short response and then move on to the next question for a short period of time so How here short? we go so we- 10, um, seconds. 10 seconds go yeah so basically an answer and a and a reason two or three sentences go with the f- so much of our time and resources being dedicated to old and dilapidated buildings is it time we go back to lodge being held in rented spaces? Jason. Rented spaces, homes. Ooh. Basements. I think we need to uh, we need to be realistic about what we can what we can afford given the yes. state of the fraternity. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. I say sell all the buildings and do masonry where masonry can be done. You can create a sacred space anywhere. Yep, uh, I have to agree. I rent uh, at Space Novum. We, we rent because it's financially responsible. Um, the building we rent from is in another lodge. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if there's a larger community sort of Masonic center, utilize it, come together, use your resources. I love historic buildings. I don't want to tear them all down like Joe wants to do. I'm just kidding. I, I don't think he really wants to do that. But um, yeah, I think if you can make it work, and you have rental space and fiduciary responsibilities on point, more power to you. But yep. for most of us, I think renting is really hot. So for the Patriot Lodge, right, we were chartered in 2011, so we had no building. We can't afford real estate in Northern Virginia with the prices as they are. So we had to rent spaces, borrow spaces, go to lodge spaces. And so um, it created a different culture but it was great because we didn't have a hundred year old building to maintain either so we actually had some freedom to move around we caught ourselves a traveling lodge for a little bit so um i know that's if you go read brother hodap's blog you know up a freemasons for dummies like it's he always bashes on uh the inability of freemasons to do long-term planning to support these edifices that were built a hundred plus years ago that are beautiful but are falling apart and we really need to reevaluate what do we value in masonry as a buildings or is it masonry? So good question. All right, let's go to the next one. Posting it now. And the question is, uh, the negative public image of Freemasonry and general anti-masonry in modern society, uh, discussion beyond Leo Taxel and papal degrees, because we cannot be serious about all those still being the main reasons after hundreds of years there's something we are doing wrong with modern masonry public relations jason what we're doing wrong is we have not established a clear value proposition for masonry in the 21st century boom yeah i'm gonna say well i'm gonna quickly answer this i don't i don't know if we need to do more in public relations because our air of elitism is always going to exist because we don't take everybody. We take those that we find worthy. Right. So that's always going to be a stigma for us uh, as members of the craft. RJ, I was done. Uh, just very quickly, you know, I wrote a paper about this. You can read it on the civic Freemason. It's called politics and religion and lodge in which I argue that uh, by removing the idea of uh, political and religious discussion within a lodge, we've neutered most of our uh, cause and, and, and ability to affect real change in any type of community. Everything under the sun has been touched by politicians, thus making it political. Everyone has politicized everything. There's nothing we can truly do anymore uh, that besides write a check. So yep. uh, it really call it. We, we have to be at the community and be seen doing things, wearing a Masonic t-shirt, maybe yep. not at the lodge level, but at the fundamental, like person level, personal level. I love it. Just get out there because otherwise, um, you know, we're just a service club. Yep. Yeah. I'll say everything you guys said, plus what, you know, to double down on what Jason said, once we figure out what our value proposition is to the modern man, Right. And a modern as in 2023, uh, man, who's, who's got different struggles than they had 
20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, like it's, it's not your grandfather's masonry. It's not your grandfather's context of reality. So, uh, we definitely have a public relations problem. And, uh, you know, if that's why it's part of why we do this every week is, is we are trying to be uh, the voice of today's Freemasonry, uh, and try to, you know, try to shape that a little bit in the best way we can. Right. So I think that's, there's obviously much more that could be done. There's much, much more could be done at the grand lodge level. But um, we have to get over the centuries of, of misinformation. Okay. Um, we'll do this one, then we'll do one more after this. So would you guys be willing to do another program like TMR 300? Uh, I feel like you, since you guys are way more known, oh, that's, that's sweet. Would you, it would be able to be a lot more participation and commute at the Scottish Rite Building in Washington, D.C. to do like a big... TMR Masonicon. That's awesome. That's nice. Who, who was that? That was Brother Jason. Not Not Richard. Jason. Not Richard. <laughs> no. Um so I feel like that is what has turned into Esotericon. Interesting. Ooh. Wouldn't be opposed to doing another, you know, Masonic, overtly Masonic flavored con yeah. mm -hmm. in the DC area. Um, but like Joe, John, and I really poured our hearts and souls into Esotericon and created something that I that I think is really unique and beautiful. Now I will add to that, and Robert helped. Yes, we seriously, seriously considered. Uh, doing the, cause we did in 2017, the 300th anniversary of 1717, knowing that there's been new research with, um, you know, the apple tree tavern and all that. Right. So with the asterisk of, well, really 2021 was the 300, the, the real 300th anniversary, but what happened during 2021, no one could go anywhere, right? We were in lockdown. No, no. So having, having that second version of the conference uh really fell flat on its face really quickly we really wanted to do it that would have been a great opportunity to truly celebrate 300 years of freemasonry um but maybe it's time to explore it again i, th I think that would be fun yeah i'll, I'll be quick because uh, i was an attendee i was not part of the show back then uh but i had a blast and it was one of the first one of the earliest cons that were out there um so it was awesome getting to meet people that i had only known on youtube um so it was awesome. So yeah, if we want to do it again, I am super down. We're down. He'll do yeah. one. Robert, you in? You ready to go? Yeah, yeah, always. You know me, man. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's do yet yet another con. All right, let's do uh, one more question. I'm going to skim through these. Again, we can't get to them all. Maybe we'll do this again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do another awesome. show like this. Maybe if we get some new patrons and supporters, they can ask their questions as well. Even more. Yes. All right. Last we'll one for tonight. In the Facebook group. So, boom. Oh, you just hid my banner. I you did. Me. What's, what's your banner? Oh, yes. Yes, do that. Now. Join now so we can do it again. Patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. Last oh, question of the evening. How do we... Oh, oh. Not... <laughs> no. No, Dylan, no. Was so George I Washington a Freemason? I will say Dylan, to his credit, 
asked that in the uh, in the Facebook group. <laughs> he did he, he did his job. He did his job. Okay, for realsies this time. Last one. How do we strengthen our declared devotion to the seven liberal arts and sciences in a society which seems to value and celebrate a lack of education? I'll, I'll start off by saying. It's not necessarily a lack of education, but we definitely act as, uh, I've been thinking about this lately, a lot of, we, we act on emotion, right? We are emotional beings, right? We, and we, we rarely step back to balance that with uh, the reason, right? And that's one thing that we're, we're taught as Masons is to, uh, to use logic in our uh, traversing the, the path of life. So, you know, I think that's, that's something that, um, we maybe should emphasize more as mentors to the younger masons of the craft and the older ones. Uh, again, it's never too late, right? Like, like Joe shared that you never know when a book's going to hit a brother a certain way. And so if we can, can emphasize that and, and support each other as masons, right? We're supporting each other on this whole journey that, um, if we can say, Hey, you know, how, how are you growing in these areas that we are taught to emphasize as Freemasons. I think that's certainly a, a noble institution. Yeah. I have a much shorter answer. Um, take that sense of wonder that you as Masons have about you and your place in the world and share it with everybody, man, that love it. Sorry. That, that shit's infectious. Um, so when, and, and do it at home, I mean, you know, espouse it to your children, espouse it in your lodge. Um, just, have that sense of wonder of that we love to teach in Freemasonry. And that's really the, when you get down to Masonry, that's the crux, right? Is you are this amazing human being that is placed in this creation and you've got a job to do. And it takes a lifetime to figure out what that job is. So have a sense of wonder again, stop, you know, keeping your head down and being monotone about your life. I love it. Beautiful. Boom. Be curious. I think we, normalize talking intently about divisive topics like religion politics because to go back what from what robert said a couple minutes ago i think where we really started neglecting the the liberal arts and sciences was when we really started to to clam up and use oh we don't talk about religion and politics as an excuse yeah. to just ignore them and stop the discourse entirely well said mm -hmm. would you agree robert sorry i was on mute um i think honestly it comes down to this sort of idea in socionomics i've talked about it before which is if you can look at a society right now we've got uh our biggest influencers are no longer these uh tycoons these uh, sort of gentlemen that are awesome folks and people know about. Um, they're now influencers on social media, younger individuals who have more money. Those are the people who are essentially driving what our younger people are valuing. And in that respect, it might not be education right now. Values change over time. And so as minds mature, they will eventually move into a place where I think they value other things like education. But from a get-go, I think right now, they just don't care. My son doesn't care a lick about 10,000 things I care about. Why? Because there are uh, 8 billion people on the planet, and I'm sure 6 billion of them know more than he does about those things. And those people can handle that stuff. So, hmm. you know what I mean? Like, 
we it's not like you said, John, it's not that we don't value education. Right. It's just that what we do value trumps education right now because of a shift in what is popular. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, there was a big drive to make Amelia Earhart popular to talk about uh, the scientists that got us to where we are. Um, and we've tried to do that. And I, th- mm-hmm. I think by and large part, you can go to target today and you can buy any number of great kids books that explore these great humans who have brought us farther than Kim Kardashian has. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know. I think, I think there's something to say there. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey, this was an amazing show. Want to give a special shout out and much love to all the patrons who support the show. You Thank guys you. are super amazing. You keep this this going week after week. You are our foundation. You are our inspiration, and we are all in this together. And that's what I love about this. It, it is a it's a community, right? That we are 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 all in, and so that's why we love this fraternity that we do. Um, so again, thank you for the great questions. And if we didn't get to your question, that's okay. Because you know we're going to feed that into uh, more topics in the future. uh, Because it is certainly, if it's interesting to you, it's interesting to us. So that's all I got. And I want to thank you all very much for watching. We'll see you next week. And keep searching for more light. Yay.